Hello, I'm Rena Grobe, and I'm Madhvi Romani, and this is Misinformed, where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So, Madhvi, what did you get obsessed with this week? I got obsessed with the writer Fran Leibovitz because you recommended this mini documentary series on Netflix called Pretend It's a City, and it's basically. Fran Leibovitz walking around New York and talking and giving her opinions. She has opinions on everything. She used to be a writer and then she stopped writing. She had a kind of writer's blockade, she says, and now she basically just goes around being herself and giving her opinions on everything. And it's directed by Martin Scorsese, who's a longtime friend of hers. It was such a delight to watch for a few reasons. I think first of all, it's a beautiful way of Just making a show because it was really meandering and chatty. She starts on one subject, she goes into another area. He lets her talk. She talks beautifully. It really felt like a walk through a city. And obviously, right now with COVID, there are no cities. It was filmed before the pandemic, so it's very funny when she says "pretend it's a city" because it really brings us into New York and gives us that kind of New York feeling. But the reason it's called "pretend it's a city" is actually. When she used to walk down the streets of New York City, and people used to stand in the middle of the road reading their maps, she would shout at them and be like, "Move! Pretend it's a city," because <laughs> she's just perpetually grumpy. She is always complaining about New York, even though she's lived there for most of her life. But I found it interesting, first of all, because of the nostalgia for New York that she embodies, because she has been there for a long time. She used to write for Andy Warhol's magazine. She knows everyone in New York. She lived this big intellectual life in New York. So that aspect of New York is fascinating to me. It also struck me that even though she is an older woman of a different generation, I really felt a lot of things that she said. I agreed totally with a lot of stuff、mm-hmm. she said. And then what also struck me was. That yes, she's from a different generation, and I agree with a lot of what she said. But I think a lot of what she did and the life she led as an artist and a writer is kind of impossible for us now.、Mm-hmm. So you know what has gone and what remains and what are we missing? It's a bit like I'm reading a memoir or autobiography right now, and it's really fascinating when you read something like that because you just see a person's whole experience, and they can give you so much without you having to live that life. You kind of get all the benefits and insights of living that life. So, what can we take from Fran Leibovitz? What's great about her opinions? What do we agree with? Not agree with? There's so much to talk about with this documentary. So, I thought we'd just start there. What I really liked about it is, so she came to New York in the '70s, which many people consider like New York's heyday, right? This is when like Andy Warhol, Velvet Underground, Patti Smith, and all these people were sort of. Starting off their careers, leading a life as bohemian artists in New York, and I quite like Patti Smith, and I've read everything she's ever written, and I love her music. But I had to unfollow her on Instagram because I just thought she was so embarrassing and pretentious on Instagram. Like her content made me cringe, and so I thought it was really interesting to watch this documentary about Fran Leibovitz, knowing that she's kind of their contemporary. Yet nothing about her strikes me as cringe because I think she's so authentic. Not to say that Patti Smith is not authentic, but like Fran Leibovitz doesn't have a phone and she doesn't have a computer because she doesn't want any part of that, and she like is very clear about that's for this generation, that's for that generation. And not to say that if you're in your seventies, you're not allowed to have a cell phone or you're not allowed to be on Instagram, none of that. But there is something like she just observes and watches the world and gives people her opinions, 
And she's not trying to impress anyone. I thought the thing about her not being on the internet was fascinating. It was mind-blowing to me because somebody showed her a word processor once and she looked at it and to her it just looked like a faster typewriter. But by that point, she was not working with a typewriter. She was writing with a ballpoint pen. So she was like, okay, well, I don't need a typewriter. I'm still working with a ballpoint pen. I don't need this computer thing either. And as she says, she didn't know that the entire world was going to be in it. She did not know that that was what the computer would turn into. Mm -hmm. Which, like I was saying, was I think nowadays for writers, it is impossible. Like, you have to have a platform some platform that's one of the first things anyone asks you if you're going to be published and also even to be anonymous like Eleanor Ferrante I think is very difficult you have to be performing as a personality as well as writing you can't just be a writer you can't just be yourself anymore and I recently read this book that you gave me so many great things come from Rena oh my god Um, (laughs) it's On Connection by Kay Tempest Kay Tempest is a performer and a poet and a writer who says when you share an experience like you go to the theatre with a bunch of people and you watch something together what happens is everyone has a collective experience where you know their heartbeats start to sync up in the theatre and when you step out onto the stage you know you are collaborating with the audience in some way you're connecting to them and you're really in the moment And you have to be present fully in the moment. And one of the things that Fran always points out is all these people are just looking at their phones all the time. She's the only one who's walking around fully present, fully authentic, fully in her being, in her body, walking around. And like Kay Tempest says, now with COVID, yeah, sure, a lot of artists are putting their work online, performing online, doing things, but it's not the same. And there is something to like walking to a theatre, going into the green room, stepping into the space, telling a story, getting back out, undressing in the green room, walking back out. And if we're just always performing on Instagram all the time, where is our break? Mm-hmm. Where do we stop? How do we gain connection or authenticity in this? And I think you can really see it with her. She just is herself. Yeah. It's something she exudes. And I think the lack of internet must have something to do with it. Yeah. I mean, she's also just incredibly lucky that Martin Scorsese is one of her closest friends because I'm sure that if Martin Scorsese goes to Netflix and goes, I want to make this show, they'd be like, yeah, you're Martin Scorsese. You can do that. The people she knows are also incredibly helpful there. But I liked her interactions with Martin Scorsese because... She calls him Marty, which is so familiar. And there was a lack of pretentiousness when she was talking about her friendship with him. She wasn't trying to impress you with the fact that she's Martin Scorsese's friend, because to her, he's just, he's Marty. She, she talks about how she reviewed one of his films, and she didn't know it was by him when she worked for an interview. I loved that she hated Andy Warhol. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> No, because I think that, I mean, not to belittle or diminish any of the contributions that Andy Warhol has made to the art world, because of course, I'm sure he's great, but I never saw the big deal about Andy Warhol. This is coming from someone who knows very little about like art history in this field. The fact that she was just like, I didn't like Andy Warhol and he didn't like me. But it's not just Andy Warhol. She went to an Ali fight. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> she got into a fight with Charles Mingus, like... The iconic figures in her life, Spike Lee, is incredible. The circles she mixed in. On the Martin Scorsese thing, though, this is a follow-up of another documentary that he made 10 years ago called Public Speaking. I also sometimes wonder if, yeah, these people are super impressive to us now, 
But at the time, that was just Charlie. There's something of, they were her contemporaries, so she probably, I don't want to say didn't see their worth, but I always wonder like how many people nowadays are you just going to be like, ah yeah, that's just X, Y, and Z. And then in 50 years, they're like hailed as the greatest jazz musician of their lifetime. So one of the things that she talks about, she's a smoker and she was fiercely against the uh, smoking ban. And when the mayor of New York, I think it was Bloomberg, Bloomberg, introduced that, she said to him, you know what a bunch of people sitting around drinking and smoking in smoky rooms are? That's the art scene. So for her, yeah, of course, these were very talented people. But there was also a time when everyone just used to sit around and smoke and drink. So yeah, it's got this nostalgic feel also. There was that New York Times article that you sent me about her and what it means to be a New Yorker and how she's viewed as an iconic New Yorker, even though she's from New Jersey originally. She seems so New York to me. Doesn't she? Like, I mean, she's complaining about the subway all the time. Oh she's gosh. rude. She's opinionated. She speaks so fast and articulately. It's very New York. Yeah, she's, she's good. Also, I liked what she said when you were talking about the smoking. She said, your bad habits may kill you, but your good habits won't save you. She has a lot of sayings like <laughs> yeah, she's that. She's very quotable, isn't she? But there, there is something to that. She just Everything just is what it is to her. She's like, yeah, I, I'm addicted to smoking. I'm well aware that. I'm addicted to smoking. She like says she started when she was 12, which is crazy. And now she just, you know, is smoking. And she says, I know someone, you know, who ate healthy her whole life, didn't smoke, died in her 50s. And then I've known people who have chain smoked since they've been kids, lived to be in their 90s. Her whole thing about, she's like, if there's an apocalypse that happens, I don't want to be alive. <laughs> when people, when young people ask her, and she has no idea why she gets asked this. She's just like, oh, young people are probably so used to be in the center of their parents' attention that they look at me at my age and think I should also give them my attention. When they ask, hey, what kind of career should I pursue in the arts? How do I get into this? Should I be a filmmaker or a writer? She's like, if I were you, I would really look for water. I don't know how, but we seem to have drunk it all or something. <laughs> and you're going to have a shortage. So I would really look after that. Yeah. Her comments about the iPad, I actually think that that, I don't want to say that made me happy, but I think that there's oftentimes people look down on new technology and it's when a young girl in the crowd asks her a question, like says, my three-year-old niece, she knows how to use an iPad. And she's like, do you think this makes them dumber or something? And she's like, well, no, because in the future world is going to be the world of iPads. So that three-year-old is adapting to the world, which I thought was like an unusual view because usually when you speak to yeah. people of that generation, they look down on all this technology, but she's very realistic. Yeah, she's so smart in that way. And I think this is one of the things, one of her truths from living in New York for so long is that everything changes all the time. So she embraces that. And so what she's saying is, yeah, you know, when we used to watch TV and my dad used to say, well, we didn't have TV. And you'd be like, yes, yeah, so what? I have TV. I live in a world of TV. And it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, everything changes. And also, like I said, it kind of made me reflect on coronavirus and everything's changed again since this documentary has been made. And how will it even go forward? It will just change. Yeah. She doesn't really attach a judgment to it. She's just like, oh, things have changed again. <laughs> things are different than in the 70s when I came to New York. Yeah, I guess in that way. I asked my friend who is a born and raised New Yorker about what he thinks makes a true New Yorker because apparently there's a lot of debate about this. And he said, obviously, if you're born and raised, there's no question. But this was a place built by immigrants. I don't think you have to be born here as it is the immigrant city. I think it's about time, respect and just generally being part of the city. 
if those commuters who spent all their time working in the city legit contributing to the economy, obviously they are you New Yorkers. I have a soft spot for New York. I really like New York. I've not been to all of the cities in the world. I realize this. But I've never been to a city like New York. There's a very unique sort of energy got, there. Mm, I was just going to say, it's got a particular vibe, isn't it? Yeah. You just feel it. I like that every single neighborhood in the city is so different. Like if you go to Bushwick, you almost feel like you're in a completely different world than if you're on the Upper West Side. But at the same time, it's still New York. I don't know. It's a weird thing. There's kind of a feeling of, she says, you have to have the guts to live here. It's a rough, it's a tough city. So other things that she says that I completely identified with, even though I'm not her generation, don't live in New York. Number one, all I want to do is lie on the sofa and read books. If and I had a choice in doing anything with my life, I would just do that. I completely agree. That I feel like that's my calling too, but unfortunately, you know, money. She also says money does not interest her, which she likes things and she wants to buy things and she likes a good lifestyle, but with things she means books. She has 10,000 books. She has 10,000 books. She says she says something really interesting. Books make you rich. And it's surprising to me that everyone does not know this or see the full potential of this. Because like I was saying, even with memoirs, not autobiographies, it just opens up a whole other experience and you can just lie on your sofa and get that. It's amazing. So I agree with her on that. She loves going to bookshops. That's the nostalgia thing that I think we're going to really miss out on when more and more people are buying, you know, online and through those stupid recommended for you Amazon things. Because when you go into a bookshop, it's like a treasure trove and you can just discover things and you don't know what you're looking for. It's fine if you know what you're looking for and you just want to order that book. But I love her love of books. 10,000 books is a lot of books. She lives in an apartment, (laughs) which is massive, just so that she can store all of her books. She has that really funny story where she's talking about how she's trying to find an apartment and she is telling her realtor that she needs this big apartment. And the realtor is like, do you throw a lot of parties? Do you entertain? Like, they can't understand why she needs so much space. And after a while, they realize she can't afford the size apartment she needs. And she's like, I knew that from the beginning. But it was fun to watch them figure it out. So she's made bad real estate decisions in New York, which I feel like I would do such a thing, but it's almost impossible to do that in New York. But she seems to have done it. She also sold her Warhols just before he died, which was not a bad financial decision. But what's really nice to watch her is just to be like, yeah, she just got along somehow. It's also this kind of New York improvised thing where you you don't have enough money, you live a life in the arts, and you just hustle along, and the money comes and goes. She says there are two types of people in the world. People who think that there is such a thing as enough money, and people who have money. (laughs) I think we're all in the first category. (laughs) Enough money for what I need. Yeah, I mean, I think she says no one can afford to live in New York City. Yeah. The city is so ridiculously expensive. But I think it's so, like, we've become such a money-based society. There's so Mm -hmm. many, like, podcasts, so many entrepreneurs, how to make all this money. It's just not interesting. She's dead right about it. Fran Leibovitz makes the ideal dinner guest because... She's seen so much, she's read so much, she knows so much, and she just spends time in the present observing things. So the information she has consumed is so... like the things she notices. I also loved that she is grumpy about the fact that no one is looking where they're going. 
when she tells that story about how she sees a kid riding up 7th Avenue, steering his bike with his elbows. In one hand, he has a pizza and he's eating it. In the other hand, he's texting. <laughs> I just like, in that moment, I, I, was, I felt such kinship with her. I would never ride a bike in any major city. I would not ride a bike in New York. I would not ride a bike in Berlin. I would never ride a bike in London. I agree with Fran. No one's looking where they're going. Just Fran Leibovitz. <laughs> she also looks down a lot at the placards and stuff on the pavement. She reads them, yeah. Yeah. I like her thing about guilty pleasures. I think that was my absolute favorite thing. One of my two favorite things, I think, that she said in that. Where she says, I don't feel guilty about pleasure. And I love that. Yeah, she says, if I ask someone why they're doing a thing, if they say it's just for fun, that's a good enough answer. Well, because she's saying that people go on like adventure holidays to challenge themselves. And she's like, I find life challenging enough. I don't need to make up new challenges. And I, yeah, she's onto something. Life is really hard and challenging. What was your second favorite? I really liked when she said that her anger is that she has no power, but she has a lot of opinions. I really, really liked that because I feel that way a lot of the times. I have a lot of opinions, as my mother can tell you, and I wish everyone would listen to me. Can everyone please share this podcast so that more people can listen to Rena's opinions? Thank you. Another thing that I really liked is that she comes also from this generation where like, she talks about judgment and about taste and good taste and bad taste. And I feel like this has gone slightly out of fashion in our days where everyone is broadcasting all the time. And she says, today the reaction just seems to be, you know, one way or the other. One thing is, oh, I hate your new haircut and you should die. Or the other thing is, oh, you're doing so great. Everything you're doing is wonderful. Just continue. I think she's kind of implying that there's a lack of distinction. And of course there is because there's too much in the world and there's something for everyone. But when everyone is broadcasting... What is taste? What is good art? What is bad art? And we've definitely, because of the internet, democratized art a lot. But we've also lost those in-between critics and reviewers and those artists in dialogue with each other mm. in these kind of very tight circles. So on one hand, it's a good thing. On the other hand, it's a bad thing. But So you can do it just for fun. Yeah. But then there's art. And I'm still of that of that opinion that there is good and bad stuff <laughs> yeah well i think i think that the maybe quality is the a quality, quality check yeah I, well i mean i think you know when people always say when i was younger the music was better i'm like no the music wasn't better when you were younger only the good stuff has survived you only remember the good stuff you don't remember the mediocre music and nowadays when you didn't have the internet and you didn't have these platforms you had to be good to make it somewhere or to gain attention Whereas, yeah, you're saying we've democratized arts, whereas anyone can make an Instagram account for their art and... But there will always be people who like everything as well. You will always be able to put something out there and people will like it and that's really cool. But I think there still is something to be said about craft and being in conversation to some extent with the, I would say, the intellectuals of your mm. day or what's happened before. I don't know, right? Like, it's a bit traditionalist. The people who are out there peacocking aren't always the people with something to say. The writers and the artists of her day, they had to have something to say. She has a lot to say. She has a lot of opinions. And now everyone is saying something, but it's almost like who is screaming the loudest or like a lot of people can get attention for what they're saying, but they're not exactly saying anything original or new. Yeah. Or smart. Well, and you know, in the time of social media... 
it's easy to put stuff out there, like this podcast. But, you know, back then you had to have a platform or connections, so you had to be, you had to be good to some extent. Well, you could be, like, really pretty, you could be really good at social media, you could do all your, you know, SEO stuff. I feel like all of that stuff takes away from your... I think nowadays a lot of it is just kind of marketing in a way, right? If you know how to market yourself correctly on Instagram or through SEO or all the things you just mentioned, you don't really necessarily have to follow up with everything because our society moves very quickly nowadays. And, you know, you see something for three seconds and you move on. So if you see something that, yeah, this is beautiful, this is shiny, this is aesthetically pleasing, you like it, next. People gain a lot of likes, a lot of following, they get money, And you can see general trends a lot more and jump on them and profit from them. On the same subject, I really like that she says she likes really little kids before they are trying to impress you with what they know or she says that they can say really interesting things. Because the imagination hasn't been beaten out of them yet. They're not full of cliches, I believe is what she says. Yeah, they're not full of cliches and they're also not trying to, you know, impress you. They just are who they are and... She just is who she is. And I think for everyone out there, and especially women, she's a great role model for just going out there and saying what you think and being who you are. And it's a really funny documentary. There's some great little bits of advice in there. I don't agree with every single thing she says, but I do identify with a lot of it. She also doesn't care if you disagree with her opinion in her words. She's like, well... If somebody says they don't agree with me, my initial reaction is, well, you're wrong. Then she also says, like, who am I? Yeah, at the same time. Yeah. What do you care about my opinion? (laughs) She's also very easy like that. So on that note, here are our three things you can do to be a better human, inspired by Fran Leibovitz. Thing one, have opinions. Be confident. Share your opinions with the world. We're all gonna die. Thing two. Go into bookshops, go into weird bookshops, antique bookshops, rare bookshops, whichever ones, little ones, near where you live, wander around, see what treasures you can find, and read a lot. And thing three, don't feel guilty about any of the things that bring you pleasure. Again, we're all gonna die one day, so just listen to Taylor Swift. It's fine, if it brings you joy, more power to you. Thank you for listening, until next week, goodbye. If you like this podcast... Please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you like, you can share your internet obsessions with us. Tweet us at the underscore miss underscore informed or follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed. You can also send us an email at misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. You can also listen and subscribe via YouTube. For news about the show or upcoming events, and links to all our sources, references, and other geeky inspiration, subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link via our Instagram. We are an independent, non-profit podcast. If you would like to show us some love, you can make a one-off donation via our SoundCloud, or support us on Patreon at patreon.com misinformed. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.